And I would like to speak to you for just a little while this morning from the title, Memorials Matter. Memorials Matter. And you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity to stand here and share the word of life today. I give honor to Brother and Sister Murphy and their tremendous leadership. Love them very much. There was a guy by the name of John, and he ran into his friend Bill, who he had not seen in quite a while. And he greeted Bill, and he said, Bill, do you remember what a bad memory I used to have? And Bill says, yeah, you know what? I sure do. I remember that. And, and John said, well, I've got great news. It's not bad anymore. I went to a seminar that taught me how to remember things, and now I have a tremendous memory. Bill answered and said, well, that is great, John. He said, what was the name of that seminar? And John thought for a moment. He said, well, uh, he said, I tell you what. He said, you know, my wife went to that seminar with me. L let me ask her. She'll remember. And he, he turned, and he saw his wife standing nearby. He abruptly turned back to Bill and said, hey, Bill. He said, what is the name of that flower that has a long stem thorns, and kind of a red blossom on the end. Bill said, you're talking about a rose? John said, that's right. Hey, Rose, what was the name of that seminar we attended to help me with my memory? <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to remember even the important things. And so we build, or we should build, memorials in order to remember. Memorials are constructed to remember red-letter days, key events, um, just to anchor in our memory forever those moments in time that we don't want to forget. And I can remember growing up and hearing my parents and other adults talk about moments in history that we were studying in school that they were so vivid, the, the, the moments were so vivid, they were so significant, they were so important that these adults could tell exactly what they were doing and exactly where they were and, and exactly the, the circumstances that were going on at the, the moment they heard the news of these significant events. For example, when President John Kennedy was assassinated, you, those that, that were there that, or that lived through that time will, will tell you, I was at so-and-so's house and we were talking about this and so-and-so neighbor ran in and said, turn on your radio and you know, they could tell you with vivid detail what that moment in time was like because the, the moment was so significant and so memorable. I've had others tell me about the time when everyone gathered around to watch the, the first, uh, uh, the spacewalk, Man on the Moon. Uh, that moment is forever etched in many people's memories. And I always, I remember growing up, trying to, or, or growing up thinking about what would it be like what would it be like to live through a moment so significant that you would, for the rest of your life, recall every single detail down to the minute of what was going on in your life when that happened? Well, of course, that moment came in my life, and in most of your life, if you're over the age of probably 25, you remember the events of September 11th, 2001. And you probably, like me, know very precise details about what you were doing and, and, and what was going on that day and how you responded and what those around you were saying and, and, and all of the moments 
that, that came when, when the news began to break that those airplanes had flown into the World Trade Center. And I, I remember thinking <clears throat> when I first heard that the planes had hit, I remember thinking and hoping just on some miracle that it was just an accident, as tragic as that would be and as horrible as, as, a, as a, uh, uh, an airline accident could be, but, but at least it wouldn't have been intentional. And, and so I remember kind of having that thought. And then I remember just a little while later, somebody, I, I was at work in, in my cubicle and somebody stood up a few cubicles down and, and announced that they had just heard that the Pentagon had been hit. And that's, that's kind of when we all knew that it, that it was more serious than just an accident. And, and I'll never forget that, that feeling down deep inside of, of, of understanding and coming to the realization that our country was under attack right here on our soil. But having said all of that about that horrible day, that, that prolific event that changed the course of history in so many ways, recall with me this morning the days that followed. Think about those days that followed. Do you remember the high level of patriotism that this country experienced. I remember people running out and buying flags. Every seemed like every house had a flag flying. And I have one particular sarcastic uncle that, that said, well, I don't know why American citizens didn't have flags to begin with, but there was a, there was a run on the, on the flags in the store, and so everybody got flags, and there were bumper stickers, and, and there, were, there were rallies, and there were, there were memorials, and there were services, and, and, and the patriotism was high, and everybody was singing, God bless America, and we were, we were determined as a country to, to have retribution and to fight back. And there was one phrase that came through kind of loud and clear through all of that. It seemed like it was the one that caught the most traction, the one that everybody really latched onto. And it was a two-word phrase, and it simply said, never forget. Never forget. Remember that? They would say, never forget. There were bumper stickers and banners and signs. Never forget. I remember people on the radio would sign off their radio show by saying, never forget forget. It was a rallying cry, and it, it was a statement of solidarity and patriotism that we could all gather around. And, and of course, you know how the events have unfolded now through the years in an effort to never forget. A, a great tower now has been built on the site where the two uh, twin towers, the World Trade Center, stood. There's now the Freedom Tower that has been built, and that is essentially a memorial uh, so that the world never forgets the events of that day, so that the world never forgets the heroes of that day, and so that the world never forgets those who lost their life on that day. I'm, I understand there's also a reflecting pool and a, and a memorial on the ground when you go to that site. Fair and I actually had the chance to visit New York City on two different occasions after September 11th, 2001. But back then, in those days, where the World Trade Center stood was just a hole in the ground. And, and it was before the, the tower was built. But I was struck then, and people say this is true now. If you go to that tower, if you go to that memorial pool, they say now, but it was true even back then, when you'd go to that site and look at that big hole in the ground, as busy and as loud and as hustle and bustle as New York City is, that space was so eerily quiet. It was just silence, just blanketed that, that whole place. I think it was several acres, if I understand correctly, and it was so quiet in the middle of that hustle and bustle of New York City. And they say that's the same. Now, the reason is, is because it's a memorial. It's, it's a monument constructed so that we will never forget. 
It's a memorial. It's a memorial to, to an event. It's, an, it's a memorial to a memory. And memorials matter. Memorials matter. And not only to the history of nations, but in terms of our spiritual walk with God, our spiritual journey, memorials are important and memorials matter. Like me today, all of us here, we can remember days and times in the past when God came through for us in a very real and miraculous way. We have what I would call high watermark moments in our lives where we can look back and know that the hand of God reached down into our life and did the miraculous. I know what it's like to see God do the unfathomable. I know what it's like to call his name and have him respond. I know what it's like to face overwhelming odds and see God show up to do the impossible, to, 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 to have those moments where you look back and you say, surely this was the hand of God. There's no other explanation for it. There's no other way to explain it. Had it not been for God reaching down into my life in that moment, I wouldn't be here today, or, or my life would be different, or that circumstance would have had a different outcome. These are moments in our life that are memorial moments. And we should take care to establish those. What do I mean when I say establish a a memorial? I mean that we should highlight and establish a reference point that causes us to remember and declare that this is where God came through and did the miraculous in my life. In this context, establishing a memorial means making every effort to ensure that you never forget what God has done for you. It is important that we build memorials because that's what helps us remember memorials matter. So today, throughout the the balance of our time, I'd like to discuss with you three important reasons memorials matter. Three reasons memorials matter. The first is memorials matter to our praise. Memorials matter to our praise. When we look back and remember what God has done for us, we can't help but praise him, or at least that's how it should be. When you look back and see some answered prayers and some miracle moments in your life and consider the goodness of God, you, you should have something welling up on the inside of you that you just can't stay silent. I'll take it a step further and tell you this. If you're in a place that for some reason life has, has dealt you a blow or your back's against the wall and maybe you're having some difficulty praising God, a good antidote for that, a good way to combat that is to just reach back and begin to praise God for what he's already done. To go back there and, and say, God, I, I see where you brought me out. I see where you answered a prayer before. And if you did it before, I know you'll do it again. The scripture, the scripture is emphatic in its instruction to praise God for what he has done, past tense in our lives. Consider the following verses, Psalms 150 verse 2. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Isaiah 25, 1, O Lord, thou art my God, I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. Isaiah 12, 4, and in that day shall you say, praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. 
Isaiah 63, 7, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord hath bestowed and the great goodness toward the house of Israel. He goes on to say, according to the multitude of his loving kindness. These are things that God has done. Psalms 9, 1, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. Oh, yeah, that's worth clapping our hands. We serve a mighty God. He does marvelous works. I like Psalms, uh, I like Psalms chapter 9, verse 11. That's a good one. If you ever have an emergency, just dial Psalm 911. Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. Psalm 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. Watch this, now he testifies, my heart trusted in him. I am helped, therefore my heart greatly rejoices. Why? Because he was helped. Two more verses, Psalm 107, verse 8, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And finally, Joel 2, 26, And you shall eat plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God. That's provision. And uh, that he hath dealt wondrously with you. I'm wondering today if there's anybody that can look back and see where God has brought you from. Is there anybody that can consider a time where God provided for you? Is there anybody that can look back and say, I was lost in sin, but God raised me up? Is there anybody that can say, I was pursued by that reckless love? of God? Is there anybody that struck deeply from the well of salvation? Is there anybody that can look back and say, I've got to praise. I've got to praise. I've got to praise. Oh, if I were you today, I wouldn't let this moment pass me by without just just lifting my voice and lifting my hands and saying, God, I owe you some praise. I see that you brought me from a long way. I see you've done great things in my life and I've got to declare it. I've got to declare the matchless Love of God. You may be seated. I remember that Sunday afternoon when we rushed Dawson to the hospital for what ultimately became two and a half years of of battle against leukemia. And you know the story. I've I've told it here many times. But what I want to highlight in this context is that on that Monday, they took Dawson back to do a biopsy. Had to put him to sleep. And by then we knew that there was some sort of cancer in his body. And many from the church came to the waiting room and sat with us. And somebody put an iPhone in my lap. And it was live streaming a prayer vigil that was going on here in this church. And I'm going to tell you, just by way of illustration, that is a memorial in my life. That's a, that's a moment where I've gone back and I've said, God, this is the moment where the miracle was put in place. This is the moment where prayers went up that were ultimately answered, that ultimately brought the victory in our life. This is a memorial I want to return to in my praise and in my worship and in my thanksgiving as a testimony so that I never forget what God is able to do. There's beautiful illustration in Mark chapter 14 when we read the account of the woman who came to Jesus as Jesus dined at Simon the leper's house and the woman came to him and broke a box of what the Bible calls spikenard which is perfume worth a year's wa- it was worth a year's wages the Bible said and this woman poured it over the head of Jesus and of course those in the in the house that day were indignant and said You know, this was a waste and it shouldn't have been done. But Jesus complimented this woman's worship. 
He complimented this act of praise, and he went so far as to say that everywhere the gospel is preached, this story will be told as a memorial to this woman's praise. So I want to just challenge you today and let you know that not only do memorials, should memorials cause us to praise, but our praise can become a memorial in and of itself. And as we lift our hands and our voice and our heart and our worship and our praise, we can build memorials to God that will anchor us and that we can return to. And we can say, this reminds me of the goodness and the power of God to work. So memorials are important to our praise. The second thing that memorials are important for and the reason memorials matter is because memorials matter because they give us power. Memorials give us power. Maybe I could say it this way. Memorials from the past give us power to overcome in the present. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So we understand we overcome by the blood of the lamb, that the blood has been shed. That was done. The blood is given. Uh, It's been shed once for all, for all time, so that we can be overcomers. But the word of our testimony is a little bit different uh, component of that piece. And so our testimony is something that is continuous. It's an ongoing action. It's an effort we must make continually to open our mouths and to share and to declare and to tell what God has done for us. So that's what gives us power. I want you to consider the scripture in Psalm chapter 71, verse 15 through 16. The scripture here tells us that the the speaking of our testimony is what gives us power to live successfully. The psalmist wrote, My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day, for I do not know their limits. So he's telling of God's salvation and of his righteousness. And then he says, I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness and of yours only. So the psalmist here links the telling of our testimony with the power and the strength that comes to us. So you and I have a testimony that's worth telling and it's worth speaking and it's worth giving. And that's what's going to give us strength to overcome. That's why you should never be ashamed to share it should never be ashamed to tell it. It's your testimony. And the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. I like to say that pretty often, but it's true. The world didn't give it and the world didn't take it away. So you should tell it, you should share it, and you should draw strength from it. If you're going through a trial this morning, I just want to challenge you. If you're going through something today and your back's against the wall, and, and maybe there's some challenges going on in your life, and, and you don't know if, if you can even look up to see the bottom, and, and there th- there's things going wrong, the chips are down, and you need a miracle. I want to tell you, reach back and grab your testimony. Dust that testimony off and just declare it. Look, look the devil in the eye and declare to the devil, God, you've, you, you've saved me before. God, you've done it for me before. God, you'll do it again. God, I know you didn't bring me this far to let me down now. You didn't bring me this far to let me go. I've got a testimony. I've got something. I've got a memorial I can hold on to that's going to give me power in this moment. Based on my study, as, as, as much as I could tell, I, I, I looked at several different sources and and, and tried to, uh, to verify as much as I could. And, and it seems that many are in agreement that the Old Testament word for testimony, the Old Testament word where we get the word testimony, comes from a Hebrew root word that just means do again. 
The Old Testament word for testimony just means do again. So when you declare what God has done for you, you are also declaring what he is going to do for you. When you declare what God has done for you, you're speaking power and authority and allowing him to work now and do it again in your life. Can I get a good amen? Thank you, Jesus. It is also clear from Scripture that the opposite is true. If we quench our testimony, if we fail to declare what God has done in the past, then we limit God's power. Consider Psalm 78, verse 40 through 42. How often did they provoke him in the wilderness, talking about Israel, and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Why? They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. They forgot their testimony. And when they forgot their testimony, they limited what God could do in their present. But if that is true, then it must also follow that when we declare the mighty things of God in our life, we unleash the power of God to work in our presence. So I'm just going to tell you again, if you, need to God, if you need God to work in your home, in your family, in your finances, start thanking him for what he's already done. Go back to some of those memorials in your life and remind yourself of what God can do. I love this example uh, in the scripture of this concept and this idea. I I had um, I'd been praying over this, and, and I just felt like, I said, God, there's got to be some precedent in Scripture of somebody that used their testimony to draw power in their present circumstance. And it was like, just kind of like a little moment of revelation, a little flash of light. God just kind of quickened this to me. And the more I got to studying it, I, I just thought, man, to me, it's powerful. I, I hope it means something to you, too. It's the example of David in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is where Goliath has come out and called out the armies of Israel. And David, of course, just a little lad, I don't know how old he was exactly, but he's not old enough to serve in the army. He gets to go bring his brothers lunch, who his brothers were serving, of course, in the army. David brings them lunch, and he hears Goliath out there taunting the, the soldiers in the armies of Israel. And so David hears this, and he gets enough of it, and he goes and tells King Saul, he says, I can take that giant. I'll take him out. If you'll turn me loose, I'll take care of it. And of course, Saul laughs at him and says, look, we've got an entire army out here that's scared to go to battle against the Philistines because of Goliath, and you're telling me as a little boy, you're going to go take out the giant. And David said, yeah, I can take him. What was it that gave David that assurance? What was it that gave David so much confidence and so much swagger and so much faith? The Bible gives us the answer in Samuel 17, 37. He said, David said, moreover, the Lord delivered me out of the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. And he will deliver me out of the hands of the Philistine." David reached back in that file somewhere and pulled out his testimony. And he said, I'm going to tell you about a time when God delivered me out of my enemy's hands. And if God did it before, then I know my God can do it again. If he can deliver me from the bear and the lion, 
He can deliver me from the giant. Oh, come on. Are you facing a giant in your life, anybody? Is there anybody that's up against impossible odds? Are you up against something you've never seen before? Well, just reach back and say, God, I remember a time when you delivered me. I remember a time when you took me, took out the enemy and set me free, and you'll do it again. Come on, clap your hands in victory to the Lord. I'm telling you, there's power in your testimony. There's power in the memorial that you've built to what God can do in your life. Declare his testimony. Declare the works of the Lord. Clap your hands one more time to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So, if memorials inform our praise, if memorials impart power, the third thing and final thing memorials do in our life, they allow us to pass truth to the next generation. So it's perpetuation. Praise, power, and perpetuations. Memorials matter for perpetuation. Consider with me today the fact that truth, and in this context, apostolic truth, is always one generation away from extinction. Or always one generation away from extinction. For truth to live on, for truth to survive, it is imperative that we pass along our faith to those coming behind us, namely our children and grandchildren. Psalm 78 and 4, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. Psalm 102, 18, this shall be written for the generation to come and the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. Those that have not even been created yet, if we pass it on to the next generation. So perhaps the most prolific example of this and the one we're probably most familiar with is found in Joshua chapter 4. And, and here in Joshua chapter 4, the children of Israel are finally getting to go to the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the desert. And all they have to do is cross Jordan. All they have to do is get over Jordan and they will inhabit the promised land. And at the night before that they are to do this, God has promised that he's going to roll back the Jordan River, much like he did the Red Sea. God tells Joshua, and I want to emphasize that. If you go back and study Joshua chapter 4, God tells Joshua. This was God's idea, and therefore it became Joshua's important assignment. God tells Joshua to go and choose one man from every tribe, and that man from every tribe would go and gather stones, and those stones would be used to build, to build a memorial. And so we pick up the story in Joshua chapter 4, and I'm going to read just a couple of verses here. Uh, Joshua explaining to them what they're going to do and what it means. He says that this, this memorial, these rocks, may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what mean you by these stones? Then you shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, these waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. So these stones were for memorial, but specifically when their children asked them, what does this mean? It gave them a jumping off point. It gave them a, a, a talking point, if you will, to talk about the goodness of God, to talk about the miracles of God, to talk about what God had done in their life 
up to that point to pass on the oral history, if you will, of the miracle power of God. So it was important to God, as I mentioned, and therefore it was important to Joshua that this memorial be built. They built one, if you study it, they built one in the riverbank, or I'm sorry, in the riverbed, and they built one on the riverbank. And this was very important because when their children and grandchildren observed this memorial, it would serve as that talking point that I mentioned. So it is imperative in our life that we build memorials in the lives of our children and grandchildren to share our testimony and to pass on apostolic truth to them. I'll share an example with you in my life of what this looks like. And, and to me, uh, this, is, uh, this is a memory I have that, that is so profound and, so, and, it, and it informs so much of, of what I do or try to do in my life. But I remember as a, as a young boy, I'm talking very, very young, just, just very young, that uh, we would always go early to church for prayer meetings. You know, so if church started at 6.30, we would go for 6, and, and that was when prayer meeting was. And if, if church started at 7.30, then we'd go at 7, because that's when prayer meeting was. And I remember going way back when I was particularly young, when a lot of the elders were still around. I remember we had opened that door to the church to go to prayer. And you could hear kind of a roar off in the distance, and that was the prayer room. That was the men and women already there, the elders already praying God. uh, praying to God. And as you would walk down that hall, it would get louder and louder and louder. And then when my dad would open that door and we'd follow him into that prayer room, I'm telling you, there was a holy roar that came out of that prayer. I'm telling you, you would have thought, you know, that, that they were getting ready to, you know, just blow up something because it was, it was loud. I'm telling you, the, the, the house was shaking. And then you would feel that, just that chill bump inducing just, just presence of God. I was too young to know that's what it was, but you just feel that, that you were entering into something extraordinary. And so we get in there, and I can remember, I can remember these elderly men, these older spiritual giants, giants and heroes of the faith. And they were praying with everything that was in their being. I'm telling you, old brother Rogers would be red in the face. And I remember some of the other men, they would be shaking their heads back and forth like this. Brother Milton Gyro, you would have thought he was mad at somebody, and he probably was mad at the devil. But he prayed, the way he prayed is he yelled. He just yelled like you would yell in anger. But he was getting a hold of God, and he was kicking the devil on out the door. And, and there were others, old brother Zuber, I remember brother Zuber, he just, I mean, all he'd have to do is open his mouth and the roof would blow off. I mean, these men prayed with authority and power. And so as a kid, essentially in my spirit and in my mind, I essentially asked, what mean, what means these stones? What is this? What's going on? I had no reference point. As a child, I knew this is how we did church. I knew this is how people prayed. I knew this is what we did. But still growing and maturing, I had no reference point. So in my spirit, I'm thinking, what means these stones? What is this prayer? What is this sound? What is this feeling? What is this authority? What is this passion that I see? And so now, all the years later, I'm 42 and a half years old. All the years later, I look back at that. And I don't know if those men knew at that time that they were building a memorial. 
But that's what they were doing. They were building a memorial. And I'm going to tell you, as a 42-year-old man, I look back on that memorial. And as I just described, I still hear the prayer. And I still see the faces. And I still feel the power. And that's a memorial that was passed on to me. And I want to somehow get that in my prayer. I want to somehow pray big prayer and bold prayer and authoritative prayer. And I don't want to just keep it for me. But I want to pass it on to my children. And I want to pass it on to their children. And I want to build a memorial that can be passed on from that generation to my generation. And then several generations on down. That's a memorial we build for perpetual and how we pray. Oh, clap your hands to the Lord today. Oh, I want to build memorials in my life. I want to build memorials in my life. I want to pray like they prayed. I want to have faith like they had. You may be seated. I want that in my life, and I want it in my kid's life. So let me try to bring this into a conclusion. Musicians, if you'll come and take your places. Elie Wiesel was a, a, a Jewish man that survived the Holocaust. He wrote several books, and he said this. He said, I've given my life to the principle and the ideal of memory and remembrance. I've given my life to the principle and the ideal of memory and remembrance. And one way we do that, one way we remember is by constructing memorials. As I've mentioned, memorials matter to our praise. They impart power. And they create a context for perpetuation of the gospel. In conclusion, and in an effort to apply this to where we live today, I want to take just a slight turn, a slight nuance to this idea, if I can, if you'll stay with me here. And hopefully this will, this will help us apply it in our lives. The Tomb of the Unknown Soldier is a monument dedicated to deceased U.S. service members whose remains have never been identified. It's interesting, the monument has no official name. The memorial has no official name. We just call it the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. It's located in Arlington National Cemetery in Virginia, and the U.S. unknowns who were interred there are recipients of the Medal of Honor, and in each turn it was presented by the U.S. presidents who presided over their respective funerals. The tomb was placed at the head of the grave of the World War I unknown. That's where it was initially placed. And then west of this grave are the crypts of the unknowns from World War II in Korea. And between those two is a crypt that once contained the remains of a Vietnam unknown, although in 1998, through DNA testing, he was identified and removed. These three graves are marked with white marble slabs flush with that memorial plaza. And the, the inscription on that memorial reads this. It says, Here rests in honored glory an American soldier unknown, or I'm sorry, an American soldier known only but to God. <clears throat> and I want you to notice, these soldiers are unknown. They're unknown. This memorial marks the unknown, but not forgotten. So where I've, I've talked about memorials to help us not forget. This memorial ensures they're not forgotten, but... They are unknown. In the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul came across a group that had built essentially a memorial. They called it an altar. The Greeks, they built this tomb to the unknown God. 
And Paul used that memorial to the unknown God that the Greeks had built as a jumping off point to get into their narrative and to proclaim Jesus Christ to them. Paul said, the unknown God whom you ignorantly worship, him I preach to you. Now, Paul wasn't saying they were ignorant. These, the Bible is clear. These were philosophers and poets and uh, scholars and, and men and women of learning. He was just saying, you're, you're, you don't know who you worship. You built a memorial to, to something that you didn't want to forget, but you just don't know who it is. He was saying, it's a God unknown, but not forgotten. So as you stand with me this morning, over the course of this message, maybe, maybe you have, you've remembered some things that God's done for you in your life. And, and, and maybe you've called to remember it's the God that has held you by the hand every step of the way, the God that's gotten you from there to here. But maybe in all of your remembering, you've realized that that God is largely unknown to you. Either, either by way of fact that you've never had an introduction to him, or maybe you once knew him, but over time, that, that intimate acquaintance with him has just slipped away. So you may have some monuments and memorials in your life, and you haven't forgotten, but maybe you're, you just don't know God as, as, as acutely as you once did. I want you to know this morning, on this Memorial Day weekend, that today can be a new and fresh memorial where you can come down to these altars and you can come down to the front of this building and you can get to know the God of your memorial. You can get to know the God of your monument, the God that has brought you from there to here. You can get to know him just a little bit better. And in just a few minutes, the, the, part, the only part that you have to play is say, God, Essentially what I've just said, God, I know you have done some awesome things in my life, but I know I don't know you like I should. I know I don't know you as intimately as I should, but I want to make that right today. It, and then from there, God will do the rest. I promise you, if you raise your hands and you say that with a sincere heart, God will do the rest. The Bible says, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. When you get to know this God, I'm telling you, there's none like him. There's none like him. If you need a miracle, if you need salvation, you need forgiveness of sins, you need God to firmly, firmly plant you on the rock, I'm telling you, there's no God like this God. So as the church comes forward, as we open, this auditor, or open these altars, I want you to come. If you need God to speak into your life in a real way, if you need him to make himself known to you, this is your memorial. This is your moment. You can build a memorial today and say, God, I'll never forget this moment. It'll be a life-changing moment. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, they're coming from all over the auditorium. Would you join us? Would you join us today? Thank you, Jesus. Oh, come on, I feel the presence of God moving. I feel the presence of God working right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, somebody's going to leave changed. Somebody's going to leave different today. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Come on, Grace Church, that's it. That's it. God, I want to know you like I've never known you before. God, I need you to show up in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, ministry team. Thank you, ministry team. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, that's it. Come on, church. Come on. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, let the sound of your voice be heard. Come on, lift your voice. Lift your voice. Let's turn this place into an altar of prayer. Let's turn this place into an altar of praise. Come on. 
Come on. Come on. That's it. Lift your voice. Lift your voice. Lift your voice. Come on, God wants to do something and He can do it in just a few minutes. Come on, would you give Him just a few minutes? Would you give Him just a few minutes? I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus.